0: please be seated. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. We're nearing the end. We'll have this evening and then I think probably two more Sundays in James here before we transition to Daniel on Sunday evenings. Uh, I'm tempted to preach Daniel out of order and and put all the the hard ones up front for Nathan before he goes on sabbatical this year, Uh, but uh, I am looking forward to Daniel. Daniel has been one of my favorite books of the Bible from the time I was a, a child, and so I'm excited about getting into Daniel. This evening as we come to this particular part in James, we're in James 5, we'll be in verses 7 through 12, James is really beginning to wrap up, he's summarizing the book. You're going to hear a lot of themes that you may remember from the, uh, the passages previous to this, uh, themes of suffering and patience, themes of how it is that we use our tongue Uh, All of these things coming together in this evening's text, but you're going to see he's not just repeating himself, Uh, he's like I tend to do as a a father, Uh, Xavier gives me a hard time about this, he asks a simple question and I give him a 10-minute answer, and often I'm repeating myself, saying it different ways, trying to make sure I've been understood, uh, and so that's not what James is doing here. What James is doing here, he's going to return to these themes, but he's going to, to hit something a little different in each case. And so as we, uh, we take a look this evening at James and, uh, and part of chapter 5, we're going to be reminded uh, that there is to be patience in suffering. Uh, also, one more note before we, we go, patience here is uh, the, in the original language, It's defined as remaining tranquil while waiting. Uh, Patience is the main theme of these verses, and so we want to keep that in mind as we read and as we consider James' instruction here. We're to be tranquil while waiting. Let me pray, and we'll read the text. Father, thank you so much for uh, the ministry of James, for the encouragement we have in tonight's text. Father, we pray that, uh, that we would indeed go out into the world this week not expecting less suffering necessarily, Uh, but being reminded, remembering as we go, uh, who it is that we are waiting on, the promises that have been made to sustain us in the midst of it, uh, the promises that you are sovereign, uh, that you know all that is is taking place and have ordained all things for our good. Uh, Father, we pray that you would sustain us until Christ does indeed return. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the reading of God's word, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. and You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, commentators uh, universally look at verse 12 and say, yeah, we, 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 we have a very difficult time figuring out why James tacked this onto the end here. Uh, some make a, a half-hearted effort to try and figure it out, uh, but it feels like he's kind of throwing it in there in, in the, at the end as he, he slips out the door, right? Uh, it is after all a bit of a, a summary of much of what he said in the book. I'm not going to actually spend any more time on that verse this evening except to say that he's really, he's he's very nearly quoting Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and that in both contexts, the suggestion is not that uh, the taking of oaths is forbidden in Scripture, uh, but that our character should be such that they should not be necessary. And so if you're ever called to the witness stand, for example, you you may take an oath. Uh, it's not forbidden in Scripture. Uh, That having been said, let's take a look at verses 7 through 11. This evening, uh, two things I want to focus on, both uh, around this theme of patience. The first is to be patient. God has ordained the times. Be patient. God has ordained the times. The second, be patient. Christ is coming again. Be patient. Christ is coming again. First, be patient. God has ordained the times. That is, that that the the time, not only in terms of its duration between Christ's first and His second coming, between now, today, and when Christ comes again, uh, not only that duration, but the quality and character of that period of time has been ordained by God. Look at what James has to say here in the text. He says, "'Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord.'" See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. The illustration here is not just of somebody being patient, but notice two things in particular about this illustration. One is that the farmer is waiting for what he knows to be the ordained requirements, right? the the ordained unfolding of the thing he's waiting for. It's the early rains and the late rains. He knows that God has laid down in history and in nature a a certain unfolding, a, a certain way that things take place. James uses this illustration quite intentionally. We're not merely waiting, but we are those who are waiting, and waiting both in terms of duration and in character of that time. We are waiting uh, in the midst of a, a, a period and a series of events that God has ordained, that God has laid out for us. We, uh, we may cry out, how long in the midst of the suffering? And the answer is, until Christ returns. Take a look here. I think James addresses both the, the duration and the quality of the, the wait. He says, be patient therefore, brothers, verse 7, until the coming of the Lord. How long do we need to be patient? The psalmist cries out, right? How long? And if you've been a Christian for very long and you've suffered it all, whether that suffering is the suffering that comes with temptation and sin and the guilt that comes with giving in to sin, or that suffering is the persecution of the world because of your faith, or it's just suffering. It's the loss of a loved one. It's the loss of a, of a livelihood, right? It's, it's the burning down of a home. Whatever the suffering is that you've suffered, and I think in context, James would point back to the rich from last week who murder the people of God and rob the people that work for him, right? He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, coming out of that text. Whatever it is that characterizes your suffering, you might cry out, how long? How much longer does this have to go on? Uh, Especially, I think, we cry out instinctively how long after a series of events. Uh, When we get knocked down and we say, it's okay, Jesus is Lord, it's all good, I know He's got this, and we've just rolled back over onto our knees to stand up and we get knocked down again, and we say, okay, this is, uh, man, that's frustrating, this is hard. It hurts, but, uh, but I, I know God is in control. And we roll back over onto our knees to stand up and we get knocked down again. And at a certain point, you just get frustrated. And you say, how much more of this must I endure? How long, Lord, until you come again? How many ways must we suffer? And James, almost uh, offhandedly here, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. This is how long we have to wait until Christ comes again. But look at how he uses the similar phrase just a little further down. He gives us the farmer illustration, and in verse 8 he says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So he opened with, be patient until the coming of the Lord. In verse 8, he repeats, you also be patient, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Here, he's holding out that hope. We're going to talk about this some more in our second point this evening. But here he's holding out to this hope. It's not merely that the Lord is coming again, and until he does, we need to hold out, we need to be patient, but that coming is at hand. It's a statement, uh, not so much, I think, uh, about the duration, right, but about the certainty of the hope that we have. Be patient, God has ordained the times. We have this farmer's example, and we know that suffering has been ordained for us. As I said, he's picking up on on things that he's already said, taking them and and twisting them a little bit to say something different about them, but he opens the entire letter with the words, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. We, We have trials ordained for us. Suffering is the nature of this life. It doesn't catch God off guard. It's not contrary to what He has ordained. He has ordained that we would suffer, and He has ordained it for a purpose. God has ordained the times. We don't suffer, and God is ignorant of it. We don't suffer, and God doesn't care that we're suffering. We suffer. God has ordained the suffering. He's ordained it for our good, the Word of God tells us. Suffering is ordained for us, and so we may cry out, how long? It's a perfectly valid question. The psalmist teaches us, we may cry out to God and ask Him, how long? But as the psalmist often does, he concludes those psalms with an expression of confidence that God is a God who keeps His promises and who will provide in the end. Notice, too, from the farmer's illustration, the fruit. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. You see, there's a a consequence, a result that comes from patiently waiting. We are called to be patient. God has ordained the times. He's not only ordained the duration and the quality of that time, but He has made promises with respect to what patient waiting yields. It yields fruit. Like a farmer, we know that patience yields fruit in God's time. The farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. And here we could camp out for weeks, going through God's Word, unfolding all of the beauties and the glories of the fruit that is born by our patience. All of the promises of God we are told in the New Testament are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Our patience, brothers and sisters, as we wait for the coming of the Lord, that patience in God's due time is going to yield the fruit of our glorification. It's going to to mean our being face-to-face with Jesus Christ, our Savior. In the flesh, it's not a figure of speech. In the flesh, face-to-face. It's interesting to me that, uh, that this is what rises up out of the text, and he's going to use Job as an illustration, an example, before we're done this evening. And Job is the one who, who frankly, quite shockingly, given how early Job is, says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and I will yet, though I die, see Him in the flesh. And this is what our patience yields, brothers and sisters. It yields the glories of all the promises of God to us in Jesus Christ. It means that He will be our God and we will be His people. And He will be with us forever. And He will smile on us. And there will be no more sickness. No more death. And all of our thoughts and desires, our affections, the Puritans called them, all of them will be following hard after the heart of God and only God this is what we're being patient for, not just a deliverance from the hardships we we live through, not just a deliverance from the suffering that we know, but a deliverance to all of those glorious promises. God has ordained the times, and we are called to be patient. Before we move on to our second point this evening, one last note. Uh, Again, it feels a little out of place unless you stop and think carefully about the fact that we're being called to be patient. He says in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do not grumble against one another. Uh, As I was thinking through how it was I was going to to sit down and explain our our main point this evening to the kids, Uh, it it came to me uh, that it's, it's precisely that context that we probably most of us know best. And the older you are, the more likely it is you've taken long car trips with family, right? Uh, there is a patience required in those long car trips, uh, especially if you have kids, especially if you are a kid, right? Uh, and if you've, you were a kid, all of us, I assume, were, uh, if you're not already right now. Uh, we've been kids, right? We know that experience. And so you, you know how siblings fuss and fight with each other. There's just an aggravation, an impatience, a breaking of that tranquil waiting. James knows this, and he says to us this evening, particularly in the church. Notice he's, he's using the brothers again. Last week's text, he quit calling his audience brothers. This evening he returns to it, be patient, therefore, brothers, verse 7, and he uses it again here in 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. We could take this and we could, we could look through the New Testament, we'll find a lot of positive versions of this command to, to Paul says, bear patiently with one another. Right? We, we ought to be understanding of one another. There is a radical quality to the way the New Testament calls us to live with one another. Radical primarily in the insistence that we forgive one another. There's a point at which Paul is going, he's getting on to one of the churches because there are Christians in the church suing one another in the civil courts. And he says to them, you ought to rather be wronged then take your suit to the world. That's radical. That's how we are to live together. It's it's hard, right? It's hard because we're sick and tired of it. We're sick and tired of our sin, and we're sick and tired of the sin of everybody around us. we're We're ready for Jesus to come back and make it all go away. And that's fine. It's fine to be ready for that. That's our hope. That's what we're clinging to and looking forward to. But in the meantime... It can be aggravating, and the people we take the aggravation out on are the people that are closest to us. And frankly, quite often, that ought to be us, it ought to be one another. That, that's who ought to be closest to us. Unfortunately, it, it reveals that we are closest to one another when we are aggravated with one another and impatient and grumbling with one another. Uh, the word used here is, uh, it can also mean to, to moan, right? It's, it's, to, uh, it's the word used in retrospect, looking back into the Old Testament, to describe what the people of Israel were doing in Egypt before their deliverance and what the people of Israel were doing in the wilderness after their deliverance. Uh, it's, it's just a, a, an unwillingness to submit to the times, Brothers and sisters, be patient. God has ordained the times. They are in His hand. He has ordained them. Nothing that we suffer is a surprise to Him or outside of His control. All of it is for our good, as difficult as it may be. Second this evening, be patient. Christ is coming again. Uh, this, is, this is the good news in the passage. This is our hope in the midst of suffering, and it's in this that we establish our hearts Uh, Again, verses 7, 8, 9, look at at how James hits this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He gives us the farmer illustration. Verse 8, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Again, not a statement about how many days are left, but a statement of the certainty with which the day of the Lord is coming. You keep reading the instruction not to grumble. Why? Because the judge is standing at the door. The judge is not someone other than the Lord. The same Lord He's twice told us is coming is this same judge that He says is standing at the door. You say, okay, well, the judge thing's not as happy a thought. No, no, it ought to be. It ought to be just as happy a thought to those of us who are taking refuge in Jesus Christ. The coming of the judge means that justice will be done. And so we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, both for our salvation and for the final execution of justice. Be patient. Christ is coming again. This is our hope, and it's what our hope is grounded in. Look at verse 8 again. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What does he mean, establish your hearts? I think in the context here, he's, he's saying, this is the foundation of your patience. This is the foundation of the, the tranquility that I am calling you to as you wait. The coming of the Lord is at hand. It's this hope in this promise and this realization. It's believing this and resting in this that establishes our hearts. He's using this language of establish like a foundation. Establish your hearts, root your hearts, anchor your hearts in this good news that the coming of the Lord is at hand. Is it difficult to be patient? Remember, Christ is coming again. Is it easy to get aggravated, to be impatient with one another? Remember, the coming of the Lord is at hand. We are to be patient. Christ is coming again. We see it there in verse 7, verse 8, verse 9. And then we get, in the second half of these verses, two examples. Look at how James uses these examples. Verse 10, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We see the prophets in their remaining steadfast, and it's an advised illustration here. He doesn't go into detail reminding them because he knows that they know the stories of the prophets. The author of Hebrews goes into a bit more detail in Hebrews 11 when he reminds us of the ways that the prophets suffered. James brings up the prophets because they in particular suffered in the Old Testament. They were given a commission by God to carry a word to God's people, a word that was hateful to His people, and that resulted in the persecution and ultimately the death of many of the prophets of God in the Old Testament. They were faithful. They were patient, even to the point of death. And he says, when we look back at these prophets who suffered and many of whom even died we count them blessed. Behold, verse 11, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. James is making a suggestion here that we are like these prophets, that we live in times where the people of God will be persecuted, particularly because the word of the Lord is despised by the world around us. He's saying to us, "Take the example of the prophets. See how patiently they endured. Don't we look back on them and consider the ones who were steadfast to have been blessed? Ah, oh, be steadfast, brothers and sisters. Whatever suffering God has ordained for you, be steadfast. Be steadfast, and we are those who will be blessed. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, he says. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's interesting to me that he he uses Job as an example because uh, in the context of Job, the one person who had no idea what was going on or why was Job. Now, Job knew God, and because of that, Job continues to, to confess a good and faithful God throughout his trials, but he has no idea why this has all suddenly come upon him. And look at the the language that James uses, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We learn that lesson from the story of Job. We learn how it is that God is compassionate and merciful as we look at this story of one who suffered, here's the takeaway, and this is why James uses Job, brothers and sisters, you may not always or even often know why you are suffering. Job is a good example for us because he didn't know why, and often we don't know why. We can, we can explain it with the big picture. We know that God has ordained these things. We know that somehow He's going to use them for His glory and for our good. But if you ask me how this terrible thing could possibly turn out for good, why this particular terrible thing had to happen to me or to my loved one, I can't answer that question. I don't know the mind of God and neither did Job. But he suffered well. He was steadfast. He was patient because he knew the God who held the world in his hands. He knew the God that he worshipped and served, and he trusted that that God knew what was right and does all things well. There's a good reason that he uses Job here. Job's circumstance is actually not that unusual. What he suffers here, hopefully, is, is unusual for us, though there are people in the world even today who have suffered very much like Job has suffered. People in eastern Turkey right now, or in the Ukraine, for example, who have lost everything in a stroke. Like Job, we're called to be patient. All of our hope is in a God who knows, a God who works, a God who is powerful, a God who loves His people and always does what is best for us. And what we are called to in the midst of it is to be patient, to be steadfast, and to trust the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.